Welcome everyone to episode 343 of Fergo and the Freak. I'm your host, the Glorious League Freak, and today I've got a very special guest. He is the owner of Rugby League Monthly, which is a really cool general rugby league website. And he is also the current owner of One-Eyed Eel, which is one of the old school rugby league websites. So it's really cool to talk to him. His name is Elliot Richardson. Uh, thanks for joining the podcast, Elliot. No worries, mate. Thanks for having me on. Now, first of all, tell me about Rugby League Monthly because this is something you've created not too long ago, but it's been growing steadily and it's a really cool site if you're into getting different opinions and and news updates and things like that about the game in general. Yeah, uh, so I'd been throwing the idea around in my head. So just for a little bit of extra background, I'm a journalist by trade. So I went to uni and did that. and now I've been working in the industry for, for close to 10 years, um, but I don't work in the, the footy industry. I did that for about six months or so at a, at a different outlet. Um, and I, I'm someone who likes the long read. I like um, sitting down on, on a Sunday morning and reading, you know, for 10 or 15 minutes, you know, the one article about particularly sport. I love my sport. Um, and I kind of got the idea. I, I read the Cricket Monthly from um, ESPN Crick Info, mm-hmm. and I'm also a subscriber to The Athletic. And so they both have great features and great writers there. And I kind of went, where's the, the rugby league equivalent? You know, yeah. where's the, the monthly publication of a couple of really good um, feature articles telling something a bit beyond what the headline is? You know, so the tagline of the site is more than the back page. Uh, so I'm not going to be giving you, you know, the, the, the transfers, ins and outs um, of the day-to-day business of rugby league. I'm looking a bit deeper, a little bit further um, into that. And so... Uh, at the start of last year, I kind of went, you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll just, I'll have a crack and see what I can come up with. Um, and then lockdown kind of happened and um, that kind of played into me a little bit because, you know, I couldn't go out, um, hadn't, didn't have much to do at night. So I kind of worked away on that in my spare time um, and it steadily, steadily grew. Uh, and then this year it's kind of, you know, I, I just kind of kept the momentum going and then, you know, we're in second lockdown now and um, uh, I've, it, it, again, that's kind of helped my my writing and um, having some more time to to do this because it does take a fair bit of time and that's why I only publish once a month mm-hmm. um, generally. Now, the, it's interesting that you bring up long-form writing in rugby league because it's something that in the past I've really enjoyed doing and I have found that at times the market has not been uh, – it, it hasn't embraced the long-form writing in rugby league like it has in a lot of other sports. And I think even in other sports, like I'm a big uh, NBA fan and it's a really niche market even for the NBA. Um, and I've joked before that you can do uh, a long form article and put your heart and soul into it. And sometimes you don't get, uh, you don't get the response you want in terms of feedback from people or traffic. And then you can do the five worst haircuts in rugby league and it can go viral and it's really disappointing um, to ca- have that commitment to the long form writing in the sport. It's something that you've really got to embrace and love and t- to make it work, isn't it? Yeah. I, I knew that going in, um, mm. you know, like I said, I'd, I'd worked for um, like a general sports publication for six months over the twenty or 2015, 16 summer. Mm-hmm. And, and I had that, you know, I had more detailed articles that would hardly get a hit. And then I put together, you know, a list of the top 10 and that would go nuts for a weekend. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I knew that going in. Um, but for me, it was more I wanted to do it. Uh, yep. It didn't start out as, oh, I'll put a subscription on this or, you know, I'll turn this into um, something, you know, that's that, that that's a bigger production. It was kind of just, well, I like writing about this stuff. Um, I might as well, you know, do it on a website that's my own, where I own the content rather than trying to be a freelancer and pitching it because then, you know, as soon as you pitch it to someone and they pick it up, it becomes theirs. It's no longer yours. Um, your name's on the byline, but they can do whatever they want with it, and I wanted mm-hmm. the ownership of that. Um, so I kind of went, you know what, if, if people want to read it, they can read it. Um, if they don't want to read it, then they don't have to. But for me, it was, I really want to do this. And, and I, I got, I got a lot of, um, uh, a lot of support as well from, um, from my dad, who's, who's a big rugby league fan. And he's like me, he's a mad Parramatta supporter. Um, cause it kind of came out of his complaining <laughs> to be frank. Um, he's all, he was always saying, there's not enough detail in these rugby league articles and, um, there's not a lot of really good rugby league journalism. He never told me to do it, but I kind of went, if he feels that way, there's got to be more people that feel that way. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it was kind of, it was born out of that. I mean, funnily enough, uh, my, my most read article uh, was in December last year. And uh, I, I, I think I said um, that it was an opinion piece. So it wasn't one of my long features. It was um, the NRL is a danger to itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was the the day after they announced all the rule changes for this season. Mm-hmm. And and I'll toot my own horn. I did predict that the um the the six again was going to be an absolute shit fight, mm-hmm. um, as I think a lot of people did. Um, but yeah, so you know, I spent a lot of time doing these long forms. Uh, and then my my most read article is is kind of this, this opinion piece written in anger after uh, some rule changes. Tell you what, my best stuff is written when I'm angry. <laughs> and, and the best feedback I get when there's something like I can, I've, I've written long form articles before and it can be about something that I'm pretty calm about, but I'm interested in and you, you don't get much feedback. But if there's something I'm really angry about and I like I write like a shark eats, you know, my eyes are curled back in my head and it's just I'm smashing the keyboard. And I get good feedback from it. And I think that that comes through in an article when you're fired up about something. And I think it's because you kind of get to the point and because you're passionate about it as well. I think that that always comes through. Yeah, I mean, I've noticed that with one ideal. Um, If you're following Parramatta, you'll get pretty angry. Um, and so, you know, my, my most commented pieces aren't, aren't when we win, it's, it's when we lose. Um, mm-hmm. and I can be pretty scathing when, um, I want to be, and I have been particularly this season, um, when we went through that, that form slump, not, not too long ago, um, a couple of my articles got, you know, I mean, mine generally do, I mean, I'm the site owner. So, um, generally if, if I, if I write something, it gets, it gets read pretty, pretty deeply on the site, but you know, I can see the views and I can see the comments and, Obviously, there's a crossover there. If I'm angry, the rest of the Parramatta fans are angry, and they're looking for an outlet. And and you know, if I've written something, generally that's the outlet um, for them to to kind of get fired up over. Um, but also, I I also think that you know I, I've I've tried to mix. Um, so I, so this year I, I did uh, try to improve improve my writing as well. So I did a I did a short course. Um, on basically like creative sports writing, as it was by a cricket writer called, called Jared Kimber. Um, mm-hmm. And if you haven't read his stuff, he's he's unbelievable in the way he can he can uh, paint a story for you. And I um, I, I conversed with him briefly a, a few years ago about that. Um, and he's not actually a journalist; he's just he likes writing. He calls himself a word goblin. Um, 
but his stuff comes along now. It's it's emotive, um, and it, it helps you put yourself there and and imagine what's going on. And I tr- I've tried to do that a little bit, a little bit of that this season. That's where I've got some really good feedback. I, I did a, a big feature on Benji Marshall, and there's not a quote in that um, in that piece. I didn't interview anyone for it. I I wrote it as like a as a tribute to him because it's it's quite it could be quite honestly his last season this season. Mm-hmm. And you know what's kind of his impact on on rugby league since his debut. Um, what's his legacy going to be, um, and how do we we kind of feel about that? Because I grew up in the 2000s, so Benji for me was was childhood. Um, and even though I wasn't a Tiger supporter, it was kind of like it was that wild ride of of watching a player with his talent, his skill, and you know, as a kid, you you grow up, you watch a player like that, and you go, I want to be like that. And so you know, you're in the schoolyard, you're trying to Benji step and a Benji flick pass, and then. Even as I got older and I was playing footy, whether it was you know Oz tag or, or or tackle footy, if someone flicked a, a flick pass behind their back, it was called a Benji. There was it wasn't a flick pass; it was Benji's flick pass, yeah. and that's what I tried to capture there in that article. And that's where I got a lot of really good feedback too. And do you find that you've over time have tested yourself with different styles of writing as well? Because there's you can do uh, analytical writing. But then you can do things that it's more about your feelings and or how, like you say, how Benji Marshall makes you feel as a fan, even though you're not a Tigers fan. Um, have you actively, as you've been writing over the years, tested yourself with different styles? A hundred percent. One of the, the, the best bits of advice that I got given by a, a senior editor um, was to constantly push yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Benji article was that it was the first time I had really, truly kind of tried to to come at uh, a topic from uh, a more emotional point of view, because um, I'm very analytical in my thinking. I'm very, very logical in my thinking. Um, and I know that comes across in my writing. And so for me to try and, you know, there's there's there, there's very few stats in it. You know, and if they are, it's it's to, to add to the story. It's not about the stats. Um, mm-hmm. there, like I said, there's no quotes. There's no real analysis. It's just how does it make you feel? And I, I actually based it on a, on a piece by, by Jared Kimber. He'd written about Greg Norman mm-hmm. um, and the way that, you know, Greg Norman changed um, golf in Australia and made, you know, all these, you know, these, these 30, 40, 50 year old men want to be young again, but also play golf like the shark. And that's kind of what I took, you know, you know, from being 30, 30 40, 50 year old men wanting to play golf like Greg Norman to, you know, the, the kids and the teenagers and the, the, the men in their twenties wanting to play footy like Benji. And that's, um, that was, that was hard for me to write because I didn't write like that. Um, I'm not a good, I'm not a good, uh, fiction writer. I'm not a very good creative storyteller, but that's what I'm trying to work on. Um, and, and it's interesting because you can, like you, when, when you analyze a player, and you can get into stats and obviously I do a podcast with somebody that uses stats quite a lot. And, but for some players, like it's cool that you basically sat down and wrote the article of like Benji Marshall. You had to see him, you know, exactly because the stats don't do it justice. Sometimes like I think that, um, Cameron Smith is an interesting player in that regard in that you can sit down and go through and make a really good, a really good case for him on the stat side of it. But you, you had to see what he did on the field and you had to see the influence he had and the way he won at every single level and how reliable he was. Because 
and Andrew has brought this up before that in 20 years time, we're not going to be looking at, at highlights of Cameron Smith. And that's going to be really interesting to see how history judges him because of that. And I, I think he'll be fine because the statistics are so overwhelming, but at the same time, I also hope there are people like you that are sitting down and writing articles and saying, the stats are amazing. They're out of this world, but you had to see him play to realize that the stats did not matter. It wasn't about the stats. It was about what he was, what he was as a player, and just that momentum that he had of greatness every single game he played. Yeah, I mean, I've actually got a Cameron Smith one kind of penciled in somewhere along the line for next year. Mm-hmm. Um, and and what you just said there, yeah, you're right. No one's really going to be looking up highlights of Cameron Smith's career. And, and to, I kind of equate him with, in terms of his longevity and a, a pursuit of excellence, a, a bit with Tom Brady. And um, particularly in the back end of, of Tom Brady's career, like we are now, he's not throwing the the 50 yard bomb down midfield to to hit an open wide receiver. Yeah. He's doing the the 10 yard check down, and there's no that's not a highlight, right? It's, He's not he's not pulling off the the big note plays, but it's his level of perfection that he's been at for a decade, and it was the same with Cameron Smith. Um, and it's going to be up to to you know to writers like myself and other writers to be able to paint that picture in ten fifteen years when people are around who didn't watch Cameron play, and being able to tell them that he had the most influence on the field I've ever seen of a player in terms of how he could change the momentum, how he could organize a team how he pulled apart uh, a, def- a defense and, 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 and in all honesty, how he influenced referees as much as people, it's become a meme like, oh, he was the he, 400 games. He was a referee. The way he approached referees and dealt with them, you know, I, I think um, it might've been Gavin Badger or one of the retired refs or might, might've been Luke Phillips uh, said Cameron was the hardest to kind of not work with, but to referee because he was always polite. Um, but he, he, he knew when to get into your ear and he knew what to say and when to say it. And he said that, you know, that becomes harder for a referee. It's easy to send a yelling, screaming captain away. It's hard when they approach you very professionally and treat you as an equal and, you know, either make a, a compelling argument or he said, approach them in such a way that they can't send him away. You know, yeah. there's the classic Melbourne's on the ropes. Cameron's going to go have a chat to the referee about something in the ruck, you know, and it was a pointless exercise, but it bought Melbourne an extra 30, 40 seconds to rest, set the defensive line. Um, and then, you know, the referee isn't going to send him away at that point. And in, if you think about it, they brought in that rule about you can only approach the ref at a stoppage at this part of the game. They really brought that in because of Smith and other captains like him because they knew how to slow a game down. Um, and very few players they end up changing the rules for or, or adapt the rules for. And I think that's what um, is that's what Cameron's going to be, be remembered for is his ability um, to, to run that Melbourne side and being such a linchpin, not in just them, but uh, Queensland and, and Australia as well. Um, he went up a level and he went up, you know, three gears that he could play at. Yeah, exactly. And like he was always, it didn't matter what level and what team, he was the linchpin of it. And I think that that's one thing that people always forget about him when he would go and approach a referee. Like, can you imagine being a referee and Cameron Smith has something to say to you? Somebody that has been through everything, has won everything, has been the best player on the best teams, some of them of all time at some levels. 
and he has something to say. It's like it's undeniable that his opinion is going to carry more weight than pretty much. Like who would have more? Who would have more insight into rugby league ever than Cameron Smith? Like the, the beauty of it too is he knew when to pay to play dumb as well. Yeah. So there was that that uh, semi final against Parramatta a couple of years ago. I think it was 2019. And Parramatta make a break. Uh, oh no, sorry, Melbourne make a break, and there's a penalty blown against them, right? So Parramatta gets into position, they're ready to tap the ball, and Cameron walks over to the referee and goes, "Oh, what was that for?" And they said, "Oh, he was out of play. He wasn't behind the ruck." He goes, "What do you mean? When's that a rule?" And you know, Cameron knows the rule. He's been playing yeah. for 20 years. You know, he knows the rule 100. percent But he goes up, plays dumb, makes the referee explain the rule to him, and bef- you know, by the time that's done, they've set the defensive line. And I'm like, that was. I was watching that and just went, that's just a a lesson in how to approach the referee and buy your team time. And that's what Cameron was so good at. Yeah. And like a lot of people don't like him and I've never had that feeling towards him. I've always been like, this guy's a genius. And on top of that, you've got a guy who plays in maybe the toughest position in the game. And he played for longer than anyone ever did. And never like, I feel like he could pull on the boots next year and still be the best hooker in the game. Like he never looked like he was physically losing anything and he was he was always just there ready to turn up on it just so happened to be he was also the best hooker probably of all time like it was just this package this complete complete package of a player and that's why he is Cameron Smith that's why he is the example and I never got into the whole hatred of him um, but I found it funny that people would get very, very upset about pretty much everything he did. The only thing I disliked was was his approach to the salary cap scandal. Um, yeah. And as an Eels fan, I, I guess you can understand that, um, and that he continuously has has had the line, and Bellamy's had it as well, that mm-hmm. they won those those premierships. Yeah. And and for me, being one of the clubs that lost to them in a grand final, that that hurts a lot, yeah. um, particularly when it was so clearly caught. <laughs> you know, there's yeah. no. It's, it's it wasn't. Like, it, it's like, it wasn't. Um, it it wasn't a case of like, oh yeah, we just went over by a little bit. It was like they were literally trying to destroy the salary cap, and they knew what they were doing. They were twenty percent over or twenty five percent over. They're a million dollars over a six million dollar salary cap. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, the the idea that um, I, I don't get why people disliked him, you know, for, for playing 400 games or, or being the leading point scorer or just, you know, I mean, you, you do get that with, with great players. They get a lot of hatred points towards them because unless they play for you, you don't want them to play well. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I mean, it's the same in, in almost every sport. You know, the, the best players are always kind of dragged. There are very few. I mean, you even look at, uh, at, at tennis and Rafa Nadal has kind of only become kind of like the darling of 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 tennis fans really at the end of his career yeah. despite him being a fantastic person you yeah. know off, often on the court always a, a very good competitor it's because Roger Federer was there and Federer was impossible to hate and Nadal was his you know nemesis you know and and there has to be heroes and villains in in sporting in sporting culture you know someone's got to be good and someone's got to be bad and Cameron Smith was the easy pantomime villain particularly playing for Melbourne during their, their, their cheating scandal um, and also playing for such a dominant Queensland side. And he played all the way through that. He was the last of the, was it, was he the last or was, no, no, he was the last um, of that um, group to retire. Mm. 
from from football. So he was, you know, the nemesis of 15 other clubs, and then he was the nemesis of an entire state. Um, and he becomes very easy then to 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 hate. And I guess part of it also feeds into because he wouldn't give media interviews very often. And he was very much in the background. So you know, as we saw when he was retiring, um, he wasn't the the likes of James Hooper and that weren't particularly big fans of him either because yeah. he basically wouldn't give them anything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He didn't give them the content that they wanted from him. We, we talked about that a lot on the the podcast where they were they were basically like, he has to retire. He has to announce it now. It's like he doesn't have to do anything. He And I love the way that he basically did absolutely nothing. And it was kind of, it got to a point where they were basically about to name their team for round one. And that's where it became official that he wasn't going to be on the side. Um, I loved that. I thought it was fantastic. Uh, and I hope we see more of it. He It reminds me a little bit of, from my point of view, it's a little bit of Tom Brady, talking about Tom Brady again, in that, um, you know, people get upset at Tom Brady in, in a similar way. And you look at the deflate gate stuff. I mean, I guess that's their version of the salary cap drama that the Storm had, obviously on a different level in terms of alleged cheating by a team versus what the Storm were doing, which was out and out cheating. But, um, you know, people that get on Tom Brady's case and they don't like him and stuff. And I, I kind of was lucky enough to be what be an NFL fan for long enough to remember when, uh, not Drew Brees, what was his name? Oh, who was the Patriots quarterback that went, that got injured? Uh, Drew Bledsoe. That's it, Drew Bledsoe. And he was a really good player. He was a really, really good player. Was- and then when Brady come in and it was like, he he was just a no-name backup. And to see him go on to become who he is and, you know, like when he started, people were like, oh, Joe Montana's probably the best of all time, but you can make the case of uh, for other quarterbacks. And now there's no case. It's over. I mean, I'm a Green Bay Packers fan, so I'm, I'm very much uh, in Aaron Rodgers' corner <laughs> in that respect. Mm-hmm. Um uh, the opinion I've, I've got there is is Brady is your perfect perfect system quarterback, right? Mm-hmm. In terms of he will get the job done um, for you. Uh, for me, I, I know this is not an NFL podcast, but I'm like I said, I'm a big Aaron Rodgers fan. Um, you know, you can make a, a very compelling statistical argument for, for Aaron Rodgers in terms of uh, his accuracy, his completion rate, his, his touchdown intercept ratio, mm-hmm. um, the the level of excellence he's had at a team nowhere near as uh, competitive as the Patriots. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he he's, I think he's only got to three or four championship games and, and the one Super Bowl, and a lot of those were, were due to, to the defensive side not uh, not keeping up there into the bargain, you know. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I... I, I see the, the the very obvious parallels between Brady and Smith in terms of um, there's a lot of hate directed at those types of players for for not a lot of reason, you know. And and yeah, like you, I really enjoyed Cameron Smith um, saying nothing <laughs> for four months yeah, and then retiring great. a week before the season started, and and Kent and and Hooper blowing a gasket over it because he wouldn't <sighs> tell them anything. They hated it. It's it's interesting. We can talk about NFL because you know it's my podcast, so we can do whatever we want. It, it's you know, and another way I look at it is you look at someone like a Brett Favre, who was like a playmaker. 
he could make something out of nothing and he could drag a team to a victory. The, the gunslinger, and, but he could also lose you the game, as, well, as many Packers fans will tell you. Yeah, well, that's the thing. And then you get someone like a Peyton Manning who's like a machine and whose dad was a, a coach at, at uh, lower levels and him and his brother ended up being quarterbacks because that's what they were always going to be. And like, so they've got their, they've all got their pluses and minus, like Montana is another one. Um, there was a point where people would say, oh, Aikman, he's one of the better ones of all time, which I never really got. And I'm a Cowboys fan, but Aikman felt like he was a little bit more of a, a, a system guy as well. I mean, who, who would lose in some of them Cowboys teams he was in? And the thing I loved about Brady is that, just the the way that he has done it for so long. I mean, he's still playing in his mid forties, mm. and you'd be hard pressed to not pick Tampa Bay to win this year. And for him to leave the Green Bay system and hey, to go to another team, yeah, and, and <laughs> Green Bay, yeah, sorry about that. Um, to to leave that New England system and then go to Tampa Bay, he was very smart with who he selected to go to, mm. but to go there and just win the Super Bowl immediately was like, this guy is just something else. Like even Montana couldn't do that when he went to Kansas City, you know. Um, it's There's something about this place. It's like Bill Russell in basketball. Um, his statistics, there's some of his stats are amazing, but a lot of them you look at and you're like, well, you know, it's a little bit so-so. But then you read about what he was like as a player and as a competitor and that he was just clearly the best player in the league. And you line up his stats against sometimes Will Chamberlain, who was doing ridiculous things that people still haven't been able to accomplish stats-wise. But people at that time were still like, oh, yeah, Bill Russell was the best player, and there was no doubt about it. It's I find it interesting when there's players like that. I think in rugby league, Darren Lockyer is a little bit, in those terms as well. In I, that, I think he's um, a little slept on these days. Um, oh, he is, isn't he? You know, it's, it's, I mean, he's been retired now for nearly 10 years, so you can understand that a bit. Mm. Um, but I remember watching him, and, and Lockyer was the best player in the game when he retired. Mm-hmm. But he's kind of been – he was kind of superseded, I guess, by, by Thurston and Cronk because everyone assumed Queensland's dominance would end with Lockyer. Yeah. Um, and it didn't. <laughs> it continued. And I think that's where a little bit of the shine came off his career. But, you know – People forget, you know, he was he was the best fullback in the world when he became a five eight, and then became the best five eight in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, that takes enormous not just talent but um, but hard work to learn two positions and master them both. And no fullback, I believe, has really managed to do that um, to to that extent. You know, Jerome Hughes started as a fullback; he's now a very good halfback, but he wasn't the best fullback in the world no. um, when he changed positions. You know, they, they tried it with Jared Hayne switching positions. They've tried it with Greg Inglis um, and, and none of them really managed to nail down the, the halves position because it's a different role to play. Um, and again, you know, Lockyer, apart from his, his, his longevity, there aren't a lot of stats, you know, to, to really point out. He wasn't, he wasn't a prolific point scorer, but, and, and he wasn't a prolific try scorer either. Um, but the effect he had on Brisbane, I mean, it's no surprise that Brisbane, haven't won a title since he's retired, really. I mean, yeah. I know they had they had a, a very very good good core there um, in terms of Petro and, and Shane Webke um, and Tony Carroll, uh, and then you know they they brought the young blokes through like your Corey Parkers and Sam Thiday's. But 
it's it's Lockyer that was the the leader in, in in many respects. You know, he got them around the field. Um, he set the tone. And with Cameron Smith, it's it's very similar. Although, um, the the Melbourne's just this kind of uh, unstoppable machine. <laughs> uh, yeah, everyone it, thought they'd drop off, and and they they've got better. <laughs> that's I'm telling you, they're about to fall off a cliff. You watch. When when Brett Kamali leaves them, they're stuffed. Um, I, I do. I love those plays where it's they're so good that they just refuse. It's like they refuse to lose. Lockie is, was like he was maybe the best example I've ever seen in rugby league outside of Cameron Smith in terms of I saw so many test matches and origin games where they'd lost and it was just like, no, he, he, it was like uh, at the end of the Matrix when Neo re- resurrects himself, he was like, no, we're not doing this. And uh, he really is. He's one of those players that I'm shocked he doesn't get mentioned more because he's one of the best five players I've ever seen play. Well, there's that try that Dan and Kemp keeps um, dining out on, that that one on the buzzer. Mm. And um, it, it's, it's been ingrained in my mind as an Eels fan mm-hmm. since it happened. I remember watching that live and just going, no, that didn't happen. Right, because I remember watching it, and I think it's might be Brendan Oak or Broderick Wright shoots out the line at at Lockyer, and I pretty much said, "Don't do that." Yeah, right? yeah. As he did, I said, "Don't do that." <laughs> and of course, Lockyer sees him coming, beats him, you know, steadies himself, puts the kick over, and it sits up perfectly. Like the bounce could not have been better. If it goes a little bit lower, you know, maybe he knocks it on or he stumbles, and you know, he's got Joel ready, he's got Eric Growth, and he's got Luke Burke coming after him. Um, you know, those, those are all pretty quick guys. If he stumbles, he's getting put into touch. Um, but the ball sits up perfectly, and that was just Lockyer to a T. And, and again, you know, there's no surprise that the final game of his career was him slotting a field goal to win the match. With the uh, smashed face. Yeah, which which you would not see in these days. Uh, he would yeah. have been off for HIA. He wouldn't have been coming back. But, you know, the toughness, and I know there's a difference between you know, toughness and stupidity, but it took a lot of toughness to stay on the field with a broken bone in your face. Um mm. And then to, to to deal with the pressure of landing that field goal, pretty much knowing you're not playing the next week. Um, yeah, and me and Andrew talked about in the last episode when you when you understand you're watching a historic moment, and it's it <coughs> excuse me, it doesn't happen often where um where you're watching a game and you're like, oh, this is something that I'll be talking about in ten years. And I remember that game with Lockyer and when he got he got hit in the head, I think it was friendly fire from his teammate. Yeah, I think it was Jared Beal. Yeah, were they going through for a kick or something? I think Beal jumped over him to, to contest a bomb and, and yeah. caught Lockyer in the face. And Lock and, and that moment where Lockyer's holding his face and he like you just know it, he's gone. And he just refused. He just refused to let it beat him. And to not only just stay out there, but to be the pivotal reason why they went on to win in extra time. Like, you knew you were watching history, and that's... I mean, Darren Lockyer is just something else. And he, I could see he's another one you could write about in, you know, 20 years' time and say you had to witness it because the stats don't tell you what he could do. They don't tell you the, the effect he had on Brisbane um, mm. and how... And how he he kind of came into his own when Alan Langer left, and it was you know it's, it's kind of like Melbourne are today. You know they lost, well they didn't lose. Wally Lewis um, Bennett got rid of him, yeah. which you go how do you get rid of that? And then you've got Alan Langer, um, and then after Langer you've got Lockyer, 
um, and how he's he he pretty much outshined them. Um, you know, I know they they still refer to Wally as the king. Um, I think that's a bit. You know, his 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 origin credentials aren't aren't in dispute, but I think it's a bit of there's a bit of rose colored glass, like we've referred to him as the king, so we're keeping him there. But I think in terms of um, an overall impact on the NRL um, and and rugby league itself, I think Lockyer ended up having the the um the bigger impact at Brisbane. Um, considering yeah. the start of his career was when they were very successful at the end of the during the nineties, yeah, um, through to when he's you know leading the team in, in two thousand and six. Um, and the funny thing is, people forget with Lockyer's first Test match, it was one of the worst Test debuts I've ever seen in my life. He was a disaster in his Test debut, and it's funny to think that that play would go on to be one of the great Australian Test players of all time, and one of the best captains we've ever had as well. I think he, I think he might even still hold the record for um, most appearances for the Kangaroos because I'm pretty, sh- uh, I'm not sure if. Um, Cameron Smith ended up beating because the start of Smith's career, Danny Badiris was the the hooker, and, yeah. and it took a while for Cameron Smith to kind of unseat him in that position. Um, but I, Lockyer, because of his his longevity and his ability to play in two positions, I think um, he might still hold that hold that record. I think he does. Yeah, I think it's I think, him. Because I think it's around fifty or sixty games. Yeah, yeah. Once you get to that fifty game mark, there's very few that have played more than fifty games. Um, it, it, I I have always loved that Danny Badiris, and when Badiris stepped down, and he he only took a break from playing as the Test captain, as the Test stalker, and he took the he wanted a, an off season, and it was fair enough. He'd played a lot of footy, and I remember thinking, man, this is not what you do when you're in that position. You don't give your place to anyone else, and he never got it back. Smith no. held it until he wanted to to step down from test footy. Yeah. Yeah, it's Lockyer that still holds the record at 59. Um, there you go. Smith's at 56. It's incredible they they played that many games. Yeah. Yeah, considering it's not like uh, union um, or cricket where you get, you know, you know, eight, ten games a year, you get two or yeah. three. Yeah. Um, and you might play a tournament once every couple of years. Um, so... You know, because he, he's listed at 2006 to 2017, 11 years as the Australian hooker. You know, most players would kill to play 11 years in the NRL, let alone yeah. represent Australia for 11 years. Exactly. It's interesting when you when you talk about stats and and uh, how you can. It's hard to make a case for how great a player is. You also look at the opposite end, and I think of like one day someone's going to sit down and look at the state of origin stats and say. Wow, that Mitchell Pierce must have been amazing. Yeah. <laughs> they just picked him all the time. Um, tell me about one ideal, because it is one of the it's one of the old school rugby league websites. I I can't remember when it started, but it has been around for a long, long time. And it's still the number one Eels website going around. Tell me a little bit about it, how you got involved in it. And what you know about the site's history too, because I'm really interested in that. Yeah, so I'm pretty sure it started around 2004, but yeah. it didn't start as as a community that it is now. Mm. Um, so so Phil Sim is the original owner, um, and he's currently on the the the, the Eels Leagues Club, so the Parramatta Leagues Club board, uh, which is why I, I own it at the moment. I'm basically a custodian for him essentially. Um, and so he started in 2004, just like an, an opinion site for himself. Um, 
I think it was on Blogspot, so one of those old old blogging platforms, and mm. uh, it it got some traction because 2004 was the year, if I remember correctly, that Jamie Lyon departed um, Parramatta, mm-hmm. uh, and that's actually where I first heard about it. Um, but you know, I you know you just jump on your Google Jamie Lyon Parramatta, and and I was delivered to to one ideal, and um, that's where the little community started. So it was there about four or five years on Blogspot, mm-hmm. and then in 2009 he moved it to an actual uh, social media platform, which is um, where the site still hosts now. We've had a couple of different iterations of it and updated, um, so it looks a lot more modern than the old kind of bulletin boards. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so so Phil started in 2004, and I took over at the start of last year, and it. It's 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 a, it's an interesting community to to run and, and be a part of. So I really got involved in it in 2010. Uh, so I signed up then, and that's when I, I I did a little bit of writing there. I didn't want to be a journalist at the time. I just liked following Parramatta, and and I I do a match report here and there. I do a little bit of analysis here and there. Um, and it was actually Phil who who said, you know, you can you can write. So um, have you considered a career in journalism? And that's how I ended up here, basically. Uh, to cut a long story short, um. And the the kind of the sad thing is we've we've never been around on the current platform uh, when the Eels have have played a grand final. Yeah. So um, there's nothing on the site actually with us being anywhere near kind of successful. Mm-hmm. The site was was shifted at the end of 2009, so after the grand final to where it is now. Yeah. Um, and obviously that uh, precipitated a, quite a dark era, which. Considering this, the site's growth in that period is, is a little surprising um, because, you know, people don't really want to talk about their team when they're losing and, and when they're not going well. And I remember those those days being quite tough um, as an Eels fan, watching us just, you know, collect two wooden spoons and, and never really being around the finals. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, it's, it's the same when I've spoken to, to different people at different clubs. When the team wins, everything goes up. And uh, once Brad Arthur took over in 2014, 2014 to probably 2017, I'd say, was probably the real, real peak of the site um, mm-hmm. because we were back in the finals contention. We were playing good footy and there was plenty to talk about. Um, and there were a lot of uh, a lot of different different news with different opinions um, on there. So a couple of those guys have left to, to form the Cumberland throw. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they provide, uh, you know, some really. So they, they kind of started, I guess, almost testing out. So they were doing training reports. Uh, they were covering the lower grades at one eyed. Um, they were doing all that type of stuff. That they're now doing at a bigger scale on the Cumberland Throw. But I see the two sites operating kind of almost side by side in a way. So you have one eyed, which is very much, you know, it's 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 a very very passionate fan base, and that's part of the challenge of running a site like that. Yeah. Is you don't want to um, remove anyone from the site. You don't want to delete anyone's comment just because um, it's it's pointed, you know, at at, at the team. You know, we, we don't tolerate bashing of of players unnecessarily. We don't tolerate abuse of players or officials or anything like that. Um, but you know, we're not going to stop anyone from saying that was a shit performance. Yeah, and, yeah. and getting very rolled up about that. You know, I've got no problem with that being on the site. Um, but it's 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 learning. It's, it's learning how to manage that because there are people on the side who don't want to bash the team. And I get that as well. As a supporter, you want to try and support the team through each game. But being an Eels fan, that, that can be very, very difficult. <laughs> <to do. laughs> as, as it was a couple of weeks ago. 
and, and managing those different dynamics of different sorts of fans too, where there's there's the sort of fan that says you got to support the team no matter what, and then there's others who want to be able to vent their frustration. There's others who will. I mean, there's so many different opinions about what is wrong with a certain club, who the problem is. So, and then there's you've got the person that thinks it's the one player and it's always that one player. And if they just got rid of him, they'd be fine. So we've had that a lot. Um, so Matt Keating was kind of that for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Joseph Paulo took over that, that kind of, uh, that role. And then Corey Norman. Um, and, and occasionally now it is, it is Mitchell Moses. Although though some of that has been directed towards uh, Dylan Brown, um, mm-hmm. which I, I think is, is unfair to both of them, um, particularly given, uh, the way Mitch has been playing the past couple of seasons. And uh, if you wanted to get an indication of how bad Parramatta's halves uh, history has been, he's now the most capped halfback we've had um, in history behind Peter Sterling. Mm-hmm. So he's only just played over a hundred games for us, which, you know, you a club with, I think uh, 74 years of history. And we've only got one half to back up our greatest of all time with over a hundred games. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, you do see that you, you do see kind of, and I guess it's human nature. You want to try and find the one reason that everything's going wrong. And that in rugby league and as in life, it's, it's never that simple. Um, but also, you, you, like you said, you do get that mix of uh, supporters who believe you should always support the team. And, and I'm kind of one of those. Um, I, I, I will say, you know, I did call for Brad Arthur to be sacked a couple of weeks ago after Manly did us by 50 points. Yeah. Um, and I'm still not 100% sold on him taking us forward because of those six weeks. And hell, if he wins the comp this year, okay, I'll 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 wear that. Um, but you know, I, I I would never watch Parramatta and hope they'd lose. I'd never do that. Um, no. As as down in the dumps as I was after that Manly game, um, and then that kind of very scrappy win over the Cowboys. Um, I had prepared a Netflix show to turn on at halftime of the Melbourne game if things went south, but I never turned that on going, I hope they lose. Yeah. I kind of turned it on with a little bit of optimism going, this could be the one game where we actually just go, all right, screw it, we're going to turn up this week. Um, and they did. They they really did turn up. And, and that was um, uh, so, so great for myself to see. But, you know, we do have the, the, some of those people on the, on the site that can get very down about on the team. And I've never really seen anyone say, I hope the team loses. Um, mm. There might've been one or two, two people who've said that, but you do get some saying, Oh, look, you know, if the team was to lose, I, I think that the coach has got to go this week or that week. Um, and yeah, you, I actually kind of think it might, have, it might be a bit 50, 50. Cause you get that discussion too. When, when, when fans boo their team yeah. because they're playing poorly Um and, you know, I mean, I don't do that, but I can 100% under, understand a fan who does do that. And I think um, it should be up to the fan to decide if they, they should boo the team or not. And um, my my belief that you don't um, comes from, from being a Liverpool supporter as well. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the club motto of you'll never walk alone is is, is big for me. So I, I don't see the, the benefit in hammering a team when they're down. Um, but like I said, you know, if if you feel like you you want to and and you feel that's the way to express yourself, then uh, again, I, I don't really have a problem with it. Yeah, like I don't think I've ever booed a team I've supported. 
I, I've been very filthy on them. Like I, I've been like, you know, fuck these guys, <laughs> especially if you feel like they're not putting in the effort. Like there's a difference between uh, having a bad team and then a team that just did, doesn't put in the effort. But like I could see, say a West Tigers fan when they come out the round after Tommy Rodonikas had passed away and they put on a pathetic performance mm. in that next game. Oh, that I, that I, pissed I, me off. Yeah, that did me too. I like I I think that that's a black mark on all of those players that played in that game for the West Tigers because that was disgraceful the effort that they put in for such an important game and I would have booed that team if I'd supported them but very like I've never I've I'm, I've never felt that sort of thing of where I'd boo the team I'd just be more filthy on their performance. Mm. Yeah, yeah, so Basically, if Parramatta lose, I don't sleep. <laughs> and I've found that that's uh, quite uh, normal across a lot of our fans. Um, yeah. And it's it's very much a case of, you know, I don't think there's been really any game where they've, they've necessarily given up. I think even in that Manly game, they were still having a crack. It was just one of those things where, you know, you start bad and it just gets worse and you can yeah. see it happening. Yeah. And I, I've played at, you know, you know, I played sport from when I was six to when I was, you know, for 20 years or so, and you have those games, right, where you turn up with all all the good intention in the world, and in the, inside the first five minutes, you go, ah, oh, well, this is shit. Mm-hmm. And you kind of, once you get into there, you can't dig yourself out of that. And I think that's what happened in the Manly game. And then, you know, two weeks later, um, they turn it around uh, against Melbourne, which has given me a bit of a bit of uh, optimism heading into the finals this year as well, because um, that was my, my major worry. I thought if we get pasted by Melbourne... Um, we we are we we are cooked, essentially. Yeah, it would have, but like, and I part of me thought that was going to happen, and it would have been a club turning moment. Like Arthur would have gone, I think, if the Storm had have whipped them. As it turned out, it was a very very good win by them, and that's the interesting thing right now. And and why I started thinking, man, it'd be cool to have you on, and then you emailed me. It was really cool. In that the Eels have a really interesting dynamic now in that they've been together for a long time as that unit. Um, they've had some pretty good additions this year that have come into the side. But even like you think of uh, Papalihi, who's come in, and he's been fantastic running out wide for them. He's really added something extra to the side that they really needed. And then, but they just haven't clicked this year. And Mitch Moses hasn't looked like the Mitch Moses he was at, it's probably up to about halfway through last year where he picked up that injury. And I I feel like that injury was worse than they ever let on. Part of me thinks that they, they were saying that it was his calf. I wonder if it did have something to do with his Achilles because he just looks like a player that has not been the same since. And But they have that awesome win against the Storm and the weird thing for me is that they've they've rested so many players coming in against the Panthers. And I feel like there's two teams in the competition right now that need game time together. One of them's the Panthers because they've had players that have been injured and, and things like that, and they just need game time together to get back to where they were. The other one's the Eels. I don't think they, they could afford to drop these players. I think they needed to carry that momentum forward. What do you think about that? So I, was, I had a bit of 
mixed feelings when, when Brad said he was going to rest a few players. I can understand guys like um, Papali'i, Nathan Brown. You know, I think Nathan's missed one game this year, and I think Ice might have missed one or, or none. You know, and and they have done a huge amount of work in the middle, particularly um, uh, Papa. It just in the middle, on the edge, he came to us as a bench player. He's now a starting player. And I think he, particularly after that effort against Melbourne, um, he, he deserved a rest. Yeah. Um, I, I think because last year we, <clears throat> we we really ran out of gas at the end of the year. We were, there was no Melbourne-like performance at the end of last year, really. No. Um, we didn't have that in us, and we were absolutely cooked. So I can understand Brad saying he, he looked back at last year and really there's not a lot of room for us to move on the ladder. I mean, people are saying, oh, he's thrown away top four. I went, well, he hasn't really. Manly's playing the Cowboys mm-hmm. um, who who probably couldn't fight their way out of a wet paper bag at the moment. Uh, they, 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 they played pretty well against St. George, but sh- St. George was shocking. And the way Manly's been playing, I looked at, um, I think it was uh, Carlos at the rugby, rugby league eye test. He, he said since round six, the only team that's performed better than Manly has been Melbourne. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if, if Manly can't beat the Cowboys, then, you know, just put a line through them, basically. Um, so, you know, Paramount's either going to finish fifth or sixth. doesn't really matter. There's no such thing as a home final this this year. Um, yeah. y- you're not really going to finish fourth. You need a result to go your way. You're talking about a mathematical equation you have no real control over at the end of the day. Um I was surprised that he's he's rested uh, Penasini. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I guess his his justification there was you know Tom Opechek's been out for a few weeks, so you got to get him some game time. Um, you know he's playing Blake Ferguson, and Fergo's uh, had a couple of injuries this year, and he's he's played some reserve grade for us. Um, you know I like I like the fact that he's 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 uh, giving Bryce Cartwright, uh, Keegan Hipgrave, and Ray Stones some minutes, um, yeah. particularly in the back row. I mean, I was really pleased to see Cartwright get the, the minutes he did last week. And not only that, but brought on at the time he did 10 minutes before halftime. I think that's, that's perfect for him because he adds so much in terms of, you know, your ability to attack. He, he changes the way you can attack. Mm-hmm. Parramatta has been missing. Um, and, uh, you know, and Hipgrave, uh, funnily enough, I think he's eight from eight or nine from nine this season. He hasn't lost the game for us. Um, so that that could bode poorly for your Panthers, mate. He's he's, he's an undefeated streak for Parramatta. <laughs> um, I mean, and and Ray Stone is is one of those guys that I think he's going to be a bit part player throughout much much of his career. Yeah, uh, I think had he had he played ten years earlier, he'd be he'd be perfect. Uh, he's got a he's got a little bit of the the Ray Price about him in in the, the aggression he's got in defence uh, and the way that he takes down. Opponents much bigger than himself. I mean, he dropped, he dropped someone against Melbourne, and it was like a textbook tackle around the hips, just picked him up and dropped him on his back. It might have been Justin Olam, um, who is not an easy guy to tackle. So I'm, I was a bit mixed, and then I saw the team, and I very much understand. I mean, no one can accuse Brad of not trying something different. Mm-hmm. I guess is the point I'm trying to make is the past couple of years he's gone. Nah, this is our top 17, top 18. We're going with that for the last month of the season, then we're going to ask them to step up a year and play another month as hard as they can. It's very difficult to do that. Um, and, you know, okay, if we get beat against Penrith, I think some people have said that might destroy their confidence. I don't think it does because you're taking so many of those players out of the team then for the following week. Yeah. Um, and I think, 
you know, you put Mitchell Moses back in the side, you put Dylan Brown back in the side, you put Clint Gutherson back in the side. I mean, some of them are probably very convenient uh, resting. You know, Gutho wouldn't be playing probably this week regardless. You know, they said he's got some some bruising on his knee and obviously Junior suspended and Ryan Madison suspended. Um, so they're not even available to play. And, and as I said, Junior Paulo himself has played not only huge minutes for us, but uh, he's had to shoulder the workload of no Regan Campbell-Gillard and play Origin. Um, so him being out of the engine room uh, isn't isn't uh, it, it's a massive loss, but it's, it's not really a, a huge surprise. I, I think Brad said if he wasn't suspended, he'd be rested this week. Um, and then you got you got some some opportunity for some of these young blokes to, to put their hand up and and say I'm I want to be part of that 17 next week. You know, guys like Oregon Kafusi and um, I know he's not young, but, but Makahezi Makatoa as well. Uh, and then the, the guys getting their debuts, Samuel Loizu, uh, Kai Rodwell, and, uh, you know, Kai we picked up from, from Souths uh, during the year. Those types of guys, they're not going to be in the 17, but they're, they're, this is their opportunity. You know, this is a chance for them to say, hey, uh, if you need me, if there's injuries, I can do the job. And I think you're probably going to see, you know, you're not going to see a very polished performance from Parramatta. Uh, this week, you're probably going to see a very committed performance. Um, and they're going to, there's going to be a lot of guys. I mean, probably guys like your Tom Opacheks, your, your, your Hayes Dunsters, Blake Ferguson's, even Will Smith. Will Smith's going to be battling to, to say he can be the 14th, the 14th man. He's, he can be the utility on the bench. Um, you're going to get, you're going to have a fair few of those guys going, this is my opportunity to show, uh, Brad that I, I can play finals football. Um, you know, which I think is is a benefit to the team. If you've if you're trying to build that winning culture and you're trying to um, be one of those teams, really, you know, looking at that preliminary final because that's what Parramatta wants to be. Um, I, I spoke to a few people at the club at the start of the year, and that was what they were big on was improving on last year and really getting deep into the finals and not going out in straight sets. Yeah, and you need everyone to go with you, and and Melbourne's so good at that, and and the Roosters have, as they've shown you, no other team. Uh, maybe Melbourne, uh, definitely. I, I don't think Penrith, you know, they got done by the Tigers when they were missing six players. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Roosters culture of next man up is just, it's phenomenal to just go, all right. You know, uh, they've had Adam, Adam Kieran as a half, you know, go play in the centers and he'll do the job there. Yeah. Um, and you get guys like, uh, um, you know, Isaac Liu, he's been around for a long time. Um, he's leaving the club, but he, steps into the breach whenever there's an injury in the, in the middle forwards, whether it's Jared Rawira Hargraves or it's um, uh, Siosawa Takiaho, or if it's uh, Victor Radley, he would just come up and do the job. And I think the player who, who epitomized that most was Mitchell Orbison, you know, yeah. 300 plus games at the club played everywhere. Harves, hooker, back row, lock centers. Um, he told him to play prop. He'd play prop. Um, and, you know, it's, it's very much you've got to build that next man up mentality and you've got to give those guys opportunities. Um, and that's why I'm, I'm pretty relaxed about this week. I'm kind of looking forward to the game and not being really on the edge, on the edge of my seat because there's not really too much that can come out of it. And I guess the positive of not seeing Mitch out there, not seeing Gutho is I'm not worried about them getting injured, which I think is a big part of, of Brad's decision making this week is, you know, Mitch has had a couple of injuries this year, you know, back injury, and, and obviously Gutho's knees and right. So you want them for the first week of the finals. You don't want to send them out in round 25. And at this stage of the season, uh, a sim- something as simple as, as a rolled ankle can put you out. Yeah. Uh, so you don't want to risk that coming into the finals. Yeah, we're uh, like Adam Reynolds 
I mean, we've seen how many times that Souths have come into the finals absolutely on fire. And Adam Reynolds picked something up in the last couple of weeks and it's basically all over for Souths because of that. Um, the other thing too with the, the way the yields are, like, I think if they went into that top four, at the moment, I don't think they're ready for that. And I, I know that's a weird thing to say because, man, you've got to be ready for the finals. But I, I could see it a situation where if they lost because they're in the top four, um, you know, they and say they played the storm in week one, I could see where that would really hurt their confidence to the point where they couldn't come back from that. Whereas because they're playing against them, them bottom teams in the first week of the finals, but they're definitely class above those teams. They should win. And I feel as though they can get a bit of momentum out of that. And then they're coming in against a team that has lost their first round game. You know what I mean? And yeah. look, that's, that's a lot of looking into the crystal ball, but that's why I think the, where the Eels are situated right now is so interesting to me because it could, it could go really well for them and, and just, everything works out their way. You know, they get their players back. They get that first game up in the finals, a bit of confidence and stuff, or it could go really, really terribly for them as well. And I find that really interesting. And the other thing is too, like if it went terribly for them, they're getting a new coach. They probably are going to change their lineup and stuff. So there's a lot riding on this next couple of weeks. It's Mm -hmm. very, very interesting for the Eels. Yeah. Like, like you said, the top four, I think, adds a, a certain level of pressure and, and expectation um, mm-hmm. because there's always that stat every year, no one outside the top four wins the premiership. You know, I mean, you eventually you've, someone's gonna, going to make history and do it, you know. Um, and I think, I don't know, I don't think Paramount's going to win the comp this year, but I think they've got the style of play to upset those top four teams when it comes to the finals. As they showed against Melbourne, Melbourne were ready to go last week. You know, yeah. they they might not have looked it, but I think there was a fair bit of the pressure Parramatta put them under, um, you know, led to a lot of those mistakes. And the fact that Parramatta got ahead on the scoreboard a couple of times, I think, fed into that. Um, and, and finals are all about that. It's all about how do you handle the pressure um, that's applied to you. And, yeah, I mean, they're probably playing probably uh, maybe Newcastle, I think, the first week of the finals. Or if they finish fifth, whoever scrapes in that bottom eight spot, his this season's a historical season in terms of poor teams making the finals. The yeah. bottom two sides are going to have a negative differential. Um, and, you know, I, I never particularly like seeing Parramatta play after a bye. So if they were to make top four and, and, and beat Melbourne for a third time or, or Penrith, you know, manage to beat Penrith, um, they have the week off and, and they never really handle that week off fantastically. Um, whereas I think having them play, you know, Essentially, as a coach, you go, you guys have got four games left of the season. That's what your goal is um, when you come into the finals. And uh, I always feel better when Parramatta get that kind of role of consistency. Yeah, and it, it's because they they've needed they needed something. That's why that Storm game was so important. Like without that performance, if we hadn't seen that performance out of them. I think most people felt like they were done. I know we've said it on the podcast. We, a couple of weeks ago, were like, yeah, the Eels are finished. Um, and that's what was so shocking about that performance against the Storm and, and how complete it was. And there's not many people, uh, not many teams can put in a, a complete com- 
performance like that against the Storm, and they just flat out beat them. There was no ways around it, you know. They they beat them fair and square. Um, and, yeah, I, I just found it really interesting. They come out of that game and rested so many players. I think that, you know, I know some of them needed rest and, and there were a couple of little injuries here or there that will be nice to not have to worry about going into the final series. But, man, it, it is a gamble. But I guess it's one Brad Arthur has to take at this point because he knows if it goes pear-shaped for him, he is out of a job. Yeah, um, and I think I think in many ways, how did, how did they fielded a, a, a full-strength lineup this week? A lot of pressure gets heaped on them mm-hmm. because you go, well, you beat Melbourne last week. You're going to beat yeah. Penrith this week. You know, yeah. he's, he's taken basically all the pressure off the side this week um, and – He's getting the opportunity to kind of fine tune them for for the for the finals as they head into the first week, and I also think that you almost get a way to to reset and go, okay, um, you know, most of you aren't playing this week. Forget what happened against Melbourne. You get basically two weeks off. Um, what we did against Melbourne, you've now got to do for another four weeks, and I think it's easier to say that than say you've got to do it for six weeks. Um, yeah, if yeah. they were if they had to play again this week. And look, as a, as a Panthers fan, when I saw that. Eels game against the Storm, and I saw the reaction of the Eels fans, and you know I understand it. It was a great, great win, but I messaged some of my Panthers fans, friends, and I was like, "Man, this is set up really nice for us coming into this last round." And now it's completely different. The dynamic is different once again in terms of like now going into this game. It's a very different Parramatta team. The Panthers' attack is not where you want it to be just yet. And it's like, man, if if we lost this game, it would be a real shattering sort of loss yeah. to our confidence. And that's why I find this game is so interesting. It's just these two different teams with two different dynamics. And because I think that it's this kind of the storms to lose at this point because they've been so good so far this season. And, you know, as a Panthers fan, you kind of think, well, the Panthers are so young. Like they've got a their premiership window is going to be pretty long, but so so like if they lose this year, it's not the end of the world. But the, for the Eels, I think that there's so much riding on the next few weeks that like yeah. new, I could see new there's, coach, there's coach, new players, all sorts. There's a coach's career that that's on the line this mm-hmm. this season, um, and I think there's also. I don't agree with Paul Kent saying Paramount's not, not in a premiership window. They're in that at the mm-hmm. moment. Um, they showed that against Melbourne. It's now mm-hmm. the, the case of making that a consistent performance. You know, they perform anywhere near that level um, in the first probably two weeks of the finals. They're, they're into the preliminary final. Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen Paramount probably play like that since they beat Melbourne in round two, mm-hmm. um, which was a very different game, that, that, that kind of monsoonal type weather. Um, that they kicked, they kicked Melbourne to death, but um, it was every every player playing to their, I wouldn't say the the best of their ability, but kind of sticking to the game plan and playing outside it when they needed to. That was that was what was really pleasing. Um, and, and that's the problem with the Eels too. I feel like they they're consistent and they're always there physically, but I felt like teams worked them out last year, and they didn't have a they didn't have wrinkles to their attack that they could, you know, still keep breaking teams open. And I think that that's the big key for them 
is to have those different parts of their game in attack where, you know, they can just give you a different look. Yeah, they, they, they changed their style against Melbourne. Um, and it was, it was quite noticeable, you know, that when they rucked the ball out their own end, there were a couple of carries from the backs before they, they tried to shift to the edges to pull the Melbourne Melbourne shape out. And when they didn't do that, they sent someone in behind the ruck to target the A defenders. Mm-hmm. But it was really in good ball that they they stopped the uh, the side-to-side movement, just yeah, from one side yeah. to the other. They sent one or two big boys through the middle, whether it was Junior Paulo or Ice, sucked in the, the Melbourne defenders. They squeezed up because that's what every side does when their middle's threatened. And then they were really, really crisp with their backline movements. Mm-hmm. And the thing that really... I think was was really really obvious was how well the lines were being run by the decoys. They yeah. were a genuine option. You know, Will Will Penasini did his job as as the centre playing running the crash line, and whether it was Ice or if it was Murata running the unders line for 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 Mitch or Dylan Brown to give them a genuine option. That paid off with with Fergo's try, and that paid off with with Dunster's try on the other side of the field. Um, and then you had that really good bit of eyes up footy. Um, on the the short side, where they put Joey Lussick away eventually, and that was just that was just pure counting numbers and and Mitch Moses knowing when to to run the ball and and pick off the defenders the way he did, and it's that type of football that wins you finals. There wasn't a lot of low um, uh, low percentage play in that. There wasn't a bunch of offloads. Um, there wasn't a bit of luck. It was just pure. Um, football and it was executed to perfection and Melbourne scored um, a try the same way. You know, uh, a lot of Eels fans screaming at the left edge getting torn apart, but almost every side plays like that these days. Um, And it was, it was, you know, attack executed really well, a really good kicking game apart from a couple um, grubbers that either that went dead or got picked off by, by Melbourne's defenders. Um, But also a willingness to contest the bomb. Um, But, Pleasingly, all four tries are through the hands and not off off the boot, which has been a big bit of a, a bugbear for Parramatta fans. Not so much that we score a lot of tries off kicks, but we're not a great threat with the ball in hand. That Melbourne game showed we are, um, mm-hmm. and I think it might have a few of those those bottom eight sides a bit worried coming into the finals because because they're not the same side that played three weeks ago. Um, no, and, no, and that's a big thing coming into finals. It really is, and and it's. Uh... Man, if a team needed a win, it was that win for the Eels against the Storm. It was, it's really changed the whole outlook of what is possible for this season because, you know, if they're playing against the Storm in a preliminary final in a few weeks from now or even the grand final, they can look back and say, well, we did it not that long ago. And I think that that's huge. It, it, and man, it, it's, it made the whole end of the season so much more interesting for me because I think that they're going to walk through the first week of the finals. Um, I would not like to be taking them on in that next round as one of the top sides that have lost, the top four sides that have lost. So it's all setting up a little bit nicely for the Eels. I just I hope that this resting in this game works out all right. Um but as you say, it took pressure off them. Like it, it as Panthers fan, I was really disappointed. I was like, man, I want to take these guys on right now and see what they've got and how it works out. Because I think if they if they'd lost against the Panthers, full strength coming off that Melbourne game, it would have been a little bit shattering for the Eels. 
Um, it, but you know that none of that matters now. I think Channel Nine's a little bit upset too because oh. they circled this game and got two top four teams, full strength, last game of the round. It could be a minor premiership to. To, to, to contest, and then Parramatta goes, he's our New South Wales Cup side. All <laughs> right. Anytime, anytime Channel Nine's upset, though, it's a good thing, I reckon. Oh, yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> um, now, with the One Idea website, are there some people you want to give a shout-out to? Because people love hearing their own usernames and <laughs> stuff like that. And, and I want you to give shout-outs to people but I want you to miss out some people that are going to be really upset too and hate you forever about it. <laughs> there's, there's two particular folks I'll, I'll, I'll mention. So there's, there's Helen Eels um, and there's, there's Professor Daz and those two, um, they, they do the match previews each week and um, it's, it's kind of next level. They, they throw in a bit of, oh geez, they get really creative. I've had, uh, George Orwell theme. I've had Shakespeare themes, and they'll like pick a book out or or a play or something, and and use that as the metaphor for the game that's about to be played. Oh, yeah. And and then the level of statistical um, analysis put into it as well. We get infographics, we get breakdowns by coach, by um, you know points scored, points defended, where tries are scored, where we concede them. Um, it's a lot of work, and um, it's it's been fantastic to have them. Uh, doing that for, for this season and it um, has helped me out a lot because normally I'd be doing the previews and I, I don't have the time to do what they do. Mm-hmm. And what about some of the forum regulars? Okay. So I'll give, I'll give a shout out to Snake. He's been there a while um, and he rubs me up the wrong way occasionally, um, but he is a bit of a pest, uh, but he's very entertaining. Um, on the site, uh, you've also got, got Grunter, who actually does our, our daily, no, daily uh, match day blog. Um, so whatever match day it is, he throws it up. Might be quick, might be long, um, usually usually pretty entertaining, and it's always good to know that someone's going to look after that for us. Uh, and then you've got a, a new bloke this season, um, Electric Analysis, and he's been doing um, – he's a bit newer, but he's been around a fair bit uh, on the site this season. He's been doing um, – like uh, statistical breakdowns after games and, and what players have been standing out. And, um, you know, he, he funnily enough, he really backed Wonga Blake uh, during the season when Wonga oh, was really? that terrible, um, that terrible run of form. And he said, you know, it, there's a real issue with uh, Paramount's defensive structure. And, and, you know, apart from, from Wonga missing some one-on-one tackles, he, he was, he was fairly right in that respect. Um, given the way that our defensive structure still got pulled apart, regardless of who played where Wonga was and whoever that was moved around. So um, I thought that was, you know, it, it, it was, it was tough <laughs> to, to go up to, for him to stand up and say, and say that um, when he got absolutely shouted down for it, but he's, yeah. uh, he stuck around and, and, and um, you know, it's, it's really provided some, you know, some really good statistical analysis, which is kind of what the site been missing a little bit since some, um, some of those guys went off to the Cumberland throw. Mm-hmm. And I love that sort of thing where someone decides to look at, even just look at going against the grain and they they start to look at, you know, is this really a problem or is it a perceived problem? I love that sort of writing and that sort of thinking because um, I think it's very easy to get dragged along with the current in terms of thinking in rugby league and, it's cool to see more and more people starting to look at different at the game in different ways, 
And it's cool that they're getting attention for it finally. It's fantastic to see. Yeah, yeah. And just quickly, I'll also give a shout out to um, one of our, our former members, Sir Cole. Uh, he passed away during the year um, up on up in uh, Redcliffe. Um, he'd been part of the site basically since it had started, um, and he was kind of uh, he, he was probably close to the oldest member of the site. Um, and he'd you know paramount supporter since the fifties, uh, and he kind of really provided a, a different point of view to everything because he would kind of seen everything. Um, and so the the site you know really misses his contributions as well. Yeah. Um, and you know none of his family really got his uh his, his affinity for the eels or rugby league um but he was he was very very welcome on the site and um you know it's, it's been a bit different not having him around to to drop in occasionally and, and give his two cents yeah yeah it's um and, and that's what what makes that website so amazing is that because it's been around for so long and it's it's had that following and it, it is has been the place to go if you're an eels fan um you know, you get so many different eels. Like you get the new eels fans, you get older eels fans. It, it's fantastic to have that mix, and I, I've always loved that site. Like I don't think I'm a member of it because, and like, look, a Panthers fan going onto an eels forum, it's not. You know, I did that arguing when I was an Australian going onto all the English fan sites. And I'm just not interested in doing that sort of thing anymore. But I always loved the fact that the site was there and it had such a great following and that was just a great place for Eels fans to meet. And I was just, I was like, I oh, know when you emailed me and you were like, oh, I'm involved in One Ideals. I was like, oh, this is fantastic. I was so <laughs> excited. You know, I was like, oh, I love that website. It's great. Yeah. It's a it's a fantastic uh, community that's that's stuck around for you know we're, we're getting close to to 20 years you know if we're going to consider as 20 uh, 2004 as the start you know, 17 17 years of um yeah. same of same age as my website hey mm. which is crazy to think about now uh, where can people follow you and all of your like tell us where we can follow all of your rugby league online pursuits. Yeah. Uh, your social media and your OnlyFans. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, we're, we're getting banned off OnlyFans. Uh, uh-huh. No. Nah. Um, so, so one ideal obviously is oneideal.com. Uh, there is a, a Facebook page and, and a Twitter. Um, you can find us at one ideal. It's, it's not a lot of content comes out through there. Um, most of our stuff comes comes via Google and, and Eels fans just going straight to one ideal. Uh, for the rugby league monthly stuff, we're on Twitter and Facebook at league monthly uh so you can find find that stuff there and that's generally um where i'll, I'll post the the latest editions and kind of some some things that I, I find interesting i've got my own twitter handle which is out at elliot richard one you'll probably get some more um just kind of general league news and discussion there as well um so i've, I've got a uh, it's e double double t richard one um so i got a double double t in there um but at league monthly is generally where the stuff for rugby league monthly will come through and you can go to rugby league uh, monthly.com and that's got everything there. Um, and I will let everyone know that it is, it is partially paywalled. So the, um, the feature articles and the stuff that I put a huge amount of effort into um, is paywalled. That's five bucks a month, but it's free for the first month. So if you wanted mm-hmm. to get in there and have a look around and see if it's worth it, uh, you can, and there's, you know, it, it's, it's, it's easy to stick around for the first month and then go, you know what? Uh, I don't really want to, to stick around any longer and you, you can leave without a problem um, in that regard. And actually uh, today 
was the September issue. So we have um, uh, an interview with Ryan Morgan, who played for Parramatta, Melbourne, St. Helens and London, um, about what he's doing since he's retired from footy. Uh, we've got a, an ongoing series on, on concussion head knocks in rugby league and how that's being assessed and treated and, and understood in the rugby league community. And then our free content um, is looking at, you know, will players eventually sit games out like they do in the NFL when they're renegotiating contracts? Um, you know, what it's like to kind of say goodbye to live footy now for 2021 because most of us are in New South Wales. We're not going to see a, a live game. We're not going to see the grand final live. Um, and each month I do a, I do a trivia. There's there's quiz. There's a quiz there. It's a 10-question quiz. This this month is on the um, uh, women's NRLW. I had planned for it to be a lead-in to the, the NRLW season. Unfortunately, that's that's being delayed. But, yeah, that's, that's what's uh, kind of available now. And, it, like, it's really good content. And I would say to anybody, like, go and check it out. Sign up and, and you know, as Elliot said, have a look. And, and you know, it's uh, – I always think that if you can support independent rugby league outlets, do it. And you'll find there's, there's people out there that are creating content that you will really, really enjoy – and, you know, Rugby League Monthly is one of the, the newer ones out there. And, you know, I, I think it's fantastic that you're doing it. And most importantly, and it's something that you said towards the start of the podcast, you decided to build something for yourself. And I think there's a lot of people out there that write about Rugby League or they create content for Rugby League and they miss the boat in building something for themselves and it's important. I think that it's cool if you get a start somewhere else, but then if you feel, if you'll enjoy it and you want to take it to that next level, make your own thing because then no one can take it away from you. No one can tell you what to do. No one can stop you. No one can feel like they've got, you know, their, their audience that they can pull the rug from underneath you. If you, if you build your own thing, it's yours and you're the boss and I think that's important because sometimes people on websites, and I found this over the whole course of running websites, sometimes people are very strange and they can run hot and cold sometimes. And you just don't need to be part of it when you can run your own thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think there are some some great uh, content creators. I've mentioned the guys at the Cumberland Throw. You can tell they're doing it because they love Parramatta. Mm-hmm. Um, and and this is that's kind of the way they they show it. You've got the guys at Rugby League uh, writers, Oscar mm-hmm. and, and Jason. They just love their footy. You know, you read that stuff, and it it they're, they're rugby league nerds, and I love that because I'm one of them as well. Yeah. Um, and then you've got guys like Liam at Pythago NRL. If that's however you say it. You've got uh, Carlos at the Rugby League Eye Test. Um, look, I'm sorry if I miss anyone out, but there is some fantastic content out there being mm-hmm. produced by fans of the game. And I think it's adding so much to the way we view the game. Like I've learnt stuff reading rugby league writers. I've learnt stuff reading those stats guys break down how six agains are awarded. And um, even as a, as a mad Eels fan, I always learn stuff when I when I go and read the Cumberland Throw. Um, and then I get my my fill of debauchery listening to your podcast and the guys that um, uh, former legend. What's what's their podcast? Um, full credit to the boys. Full credit to the boys. Yeah, you know, and, and there's a little there's a little tribute to them. If you if you go look at the the free free article section of the site, you can give full mm-hmm. credit to the boys there. <laughs> oh, there um, you go. Yeah, there's there's a little little uh, kind of thing there. They, they were kind of one of the first um, uh, footy podcasts I listened to. So, oh really? Um, 
yeah yeah so you know like you said there's there's plenty of people out there doing doing this because they love it um and i think it definitely comes across in in the the content they provide they're doing it because they enjoy it um and yeah if you've got a couple of bucks to spare and you wanted to, to pop it down somewhere um i'd, I'd be very grateful um, but i know there are other guys out there i think they come on through over patreon um and i know rugby league writers they do a um, they do some some paywalled stuff and some newsletters as well, um, and I, I'm, I'm a member of their site. Um, I, I I stumped up for that, so yeah, I think it's uh, it's fantastic for for footy fans to get involved there. Yeah, make it rain, otherwise you're going to get more friggin' break the Nasta and block a roach and. <laughs> You know, another article by whoever. It's like some of the people I get writing articles uh, on the mainstream website, you think to yourself, bloody hell, like <laughs> it's like getting blood from a stone, getting a thought from some of these people. Less than RL360, more rugby league monthly. I'll just say that. 100% agree. 100% agree. Well, look, it's been awesome having you on. Um, I'll get you on again because it's I, I can tell we can go down some rabbit holes. I love it when I can talk to somebody and it's like, oh, yeah, this person, we can go and find oh. some really weird shit to talk about. <laughs> 100%, mate. I'd be happy to come back on. <laughs> Thank you for coming on. Thank you to everyone for listening. A big shout out to everyone at One Ideals. And uh, we'll catch you all later. All right. Thank you.